Tonight on the first annual Flophouse Floptacular, we discuss the Academy Awards and the Razzies. Show slash year in review. Ow! Floptacular. Yeah, I like that name. Okay, so uh, I <laughs> you like it too, man. It is good. For the Floptacular, we have me, Dan McCoy, uh, me, Stuart Wellington, myself, Elliot Kalen. Yes, Elliot, now two guest hosting appearances, is officially our favorite guest host. Yeah! Oh my god, he's like Jessica Beale. He is like Jessica Beale. I'm Biel. a recurring character now. Yes. Now his acting ability is questionable, but his body's hot. Yes, it's gonna be all over. Um, and I gotta say, there you know, like there, there's a particular reason aside from us uh, liking Elliot so much and him enjoying doing the podcast that we wanted him for this episode. Ow! Because Elliot has had um, some direct uh, experience with the Oscars. Ow! Um, <laughs> you, you work for the Daily Show with John Stewart. Your boss, John Stewart. Yes, hosting like the Oscars. <laughs> like a cat got trapped somewhere. That's true. I'm just gonna yell. Ow! I'll just go here. Right. I think you might confuse the cat who's on the table, and then she'll start attacking the podcast. Yeah, let's set the scene. She'll be attacking the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> In French. <laughs> it'll just be like it'll be just like Freakazoid. She'll enter into the internet on her blog. <laughs> yep. So her blog <laughs> on dancecat.blogspot.com. Yeah. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> the flop house sucks. Entry. But no, I wanted to say, um, John Stewart hosted again this year. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into any awkward areas, any conflicts of interest. But yeah, uh, I have to recuse myself from. How do you think your boss did? I thought he did. He did a very solid job. The job of the Oscar host is to get the show moving along and not irritate people and provide some light moments. And he certainly did all of those. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm always, I guess, in the minority when it comes to. You know, Oscar hosts, like, who I feel does a good job. Like, whenever I feel someone has done a good job, inevitably I open up the newspaper the next day, <laughs> you know, so-and-so bombed at the Oscars. Well, I know you loved, <laughs> yeah. you loved Whoopi that one year, so. No. The <laughs> costume I'm, changes were wonderful. I'm thinking specifically of, like, when Letterman hosted. I thought Letterman did some very funny things, and then, every, like, he's, like, the most hated host in recent Oscar because memory. Letterman did Letterman did some very funny things if he was hosting Letterman's show. If he right. was hosting the Oscars. As wrong and stupid and fake as the Oscars are, there is the image of this is the night for Hollywood and let's play it by Hollywood's rules, which he did not. Right. Well, speaking with the flip side of that, uh, certainly the biggest laugh, I think, at my Oscar party, I held an Oscar party, and if you hear us eating at any point, that's the remains of the Oscar party. (laughs) That that ambient noise is sort of give you the feel as if. You were at our Oscar the party. The remains of the guests at the Oscar party. <laughs> <laughs> the people who lost the Oscar pool have been uh, slow cooked and barbecue sauce. And I'm, I'm still wearing I'm still wearing the dress I wore <laughs> at Oscars. Uh, starting to smell. That's yeah, the taffeta is getting yeah, getting a little dirty. It's like wearing Charles Dickens novel. But <laughs> no, I, but the biggest laugh at the party was uh, the, his slam in Norbit. <laughs> like, which was certainly a moment where he did not play by the Oscar well, rules. Well, there's, there's this unwritten rule that when on Oscar night, there are no losers. 
there are losers, and they know they're losers because they win the award. But the idea that Hollywood makes no mistakes. This is a celebration of Hollywood, and movies are great, and we're great at it. Just like the same way that Jack Nicholson did his rundown of the every, his intro to the Best Picture winners. He said, there are many movies, but only 79 have been named best. Like, really? Seriously? Jackson Nicholson? Do you really think that... Does anyone in the room think that these are the best movies ever made? And well, yet, you have to pretend they are, or else Oscar is meaningless. I was going to bring this up uh, a little later, but oh, uh, you sorry. are famously the writer, or famously to me. Famously and we, to my friends. This is one of the first things that um, sort of... This is one of the first uh, points of contact between uh, you and me was when I talked to you about your blog, The Oscars Are Always Wrong. Which, speaking of which, what year are you up to on that? Uh, for about two years now, I've been up to 1961, mm-hmm. and I just uh, actually have lost most of those files. The site that was hosting it was shut down by my former roommate, who was hosting the site. Because on his blog, on that server, he had not written anything for two or three years before he decided to get rid of it. Oh, that's very upsetting. And I foolishly did not save those those uh, entries. He might have them saved somewhere. So, but I was um, up to. When are you gonna restart the project I might from have year to, one? You know what? I uh, might take some time before I do that. But I was up to. I think the last one I did was 1960. Or no, the last one I did was 1961 because I said the apartment was one of the few correct choices. That well, now that you've let me know that that's happened, I'll have to take the Oscars are always wrong off my blog reader. <laughs> I've been yeah. mainly hoping that it'll be updated someday. <laughs> well, I think that people have just sent to a. 404 Forbidden <laughs> page. I apologize that your blog roll has been hilariously antiquated. Yeah. I'm sure you don't want a cheesecake I was offered a square of cheesecake, but I'm already eating fudge. So. <laughs> Please, it's the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, for it's a night for Oscars. There are no main choices. <laughs> but then, but yeah, the, my, my main, main point was that the Academy Awards are, always, are, are almost always completely wrong in their choice, both in Best Picture and in, you know, the other awards. Well, maybe we should um, start at the top and then work backwards to the less interesting uh, discussions <laughs> in that spirit. I mean, did you think that the best picture choice was wrong this year? I mean, it, it was wrong in the in the way that they didn't nominate the best, my opinion, what the best movie of the year was, which we can get into later. If you want All right. To. Yeah, that's true. You're, you, I think you were going to bring that up uh, when we gave out our own awards. Yes. So but uh, this year, not, I mean, few of the movies they nominated were, I mean, they weren't bad. Even my least favorite of the ones that I saw, I saw all of them except Atonement, which looked from commercial one like a movie that was designed to win Best Picture, right. which meant I probably wouldn't like it. But even Juno, which I had major problems with and ultimately am not happy with, was not a terrible movie. In the way that, say, Around the World in 80 Days, which won <laughs> Best Picture, is a shitty movie. It's not good, and it's really boring, and it's like 100 hours long. But uh, it exists to have cameo. It's like... Now you can say that uh, that Canton Flass and John Paul Belmondo were in the same movie. Great. Finally. <laughs> Thank you for this David Niven-hosted party. Uh, the, no, I would love to go to a David Niven-hosted <laughs> party, by the way. I imagine there'd be a lot of really well-mixed cocktails mm-hmm. and uh, some conversation. But uh, like the, There Will Be Blood and Open Fullman were the main ones that were both good movies. Michael Clayton is a mediocre film with kind of good movie style, but it's not a bad movie. It's, you know, these were the acceptable movies to review. Yeah, I saw all five of them. I'd seen... That's uh, very impressive. It is well, very I saw, impressive. I saw four of them, you know, just before the nominees were announced. 
And then at that point, I was like, well, might as well go see Atonement. <laughs> and it was like the week before the Oscars. And the thing is, like, I realized the Oscars are completely insignificant. Uh, now, wait, wait, wait. Did you go see Atonement just so you could be at your Oscar party and be like, I saw the movie. I saw all five of these movies. Well, I was going to lord it over people in that smarmy way, but yeah. Here's the thing. The Oscars, to me, I agree with what Elliot's saying. However, for some reason, for some crazy reason, I love them. And I think, I've been thinking about it recently. Listen, you can't write a blog about something, writing in detail why it's wrong in every particular, without loving it a little bit. Yeah, That's right. the thing. Is like, as much as I hate it, I love it. All. I, there's, a, there's something about it that is very attractive and very magical. And it might just be 80 years of society pretending it's magical, eventually building up to kind of like, sure. yeah, there is a certain magic. Glamour. Also, I, you know... I, and at I, one point it was, even though they were, gave out the wrong choices, it was all bought by the studios and paid for, <laughs> they, there was a glamour to it. These are the biggest stars in Hollywood getting together for one night. Coming after Shine. Coming yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, more stars than in the heavens <laughs> at the Academy Awards. I just think, for me, part of it the is Dorothy that... Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. I couldn't care less about sports, but I understand what appeals to people about, like, the... Uh, the Super Bowl, because they're like, okay, this is one sports event that we can all share. Likewise, the Oscars, movies are what I care about. So, yeah. like, mm -hmm. for, like, a month every year, everyone agrees to talk about movies a lot. Yeah. And I'm really happy about yeah, that. Yeah, that's fair. And that's the purpose of the Oscars. The Oscars are a, are a commercial for movies. Yeah. So they're doing their job if they get people to talk about it. And from what I can see, they're working. <laughs> people go to those movies. That's true. Like, atonement. Which, by the way, was my least favorite of the five. What was your most favorite? I think There Will Be Blood. It's tough between that and No Time to Fool Men. I love both of those movies. Juno was right in the middle. You know, like, I had problems with some of the writing. Uh, oh, whoa! <laughs> I know. Oscar oh, winner, yeah. Diablo Cody. <laughs> Dan, I don't Pebbles. know if you understand. That one best original screenplay. <laughs> it is the most original and best screenplay of the year. I know. And I know that, I mean, she was, she was a stripper-turned-blogger. I don't know if you. I don't know if you heard that. Not a real stripper. I don't know if you heard that one hundred times. Not a real stripper. No. She stripped for a year, then wrote a book about it. There well, are people who stripped for many years. As my friend, that's like if I was a coal miner for a year and then wrote a book about it, and I'm like, I'm a coal miner turned writer. As a as as <laughs> there are people who die of coal mining. You know? <laughs> as or die of stripping. Yeah, exactly. Or die. Have you ever seen a movie on Cinemax? You know that stripping is a dangerous career. You yeah. could easily die stripping. You get your hand and foot removed by a serial killer. <laughs> by some sort of blue themed serial killer. Well, I want to say, though, as your friend and mine, uh, Elliot, uh, Laura Buckholtz, uh, yes. said to me, uh, by the way, a writer for Prairie Home Companion, a weird like public radio name dropping. I, I didn't guess. know that. That's very nice. Yeah, that's, she's, she's in Minnesota doing that. Uh, she's reading Babel Cody's book, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper. Mm -hmm. And Laura said, uh, What's unlikely about it? If you're stripping, I think that makes you a stripper. <laughs> you know, I'm better than all these other strippers. What would make it unlikely, I think, is if she was an amputee <laughs> or something like that. Like, she's never going to make it as a stripper. <laughs> she, she doesn't have a body. Like, if she was a ghost. <laughs> I'm going to show all of you. Well, I may be paralyzed from the neck down, but I'm going to strip, damn it. <laughs> that would be an unlikely stripper. Someone remove my clothes. <laughs> well, fair enough. Oh, uh, Diablo. You've been burned, Laura, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. Yeah, Bucholes, you've been burned. But yeah, agreed. I mean, like, Michael Clayton, I enjoyed, but I thought, actually, one of the, one of the things that where it fell down for me is I didn't think for a thriller mm -hmm. there were that many <laughs> thrills. 
<laughs> I'm like, it was just like, we're going to make a respectable thriller, and we're going to do that by taking out everything exciting. Well, this is, I call that road to perdition. Mm-hmm. You, it, to make something respectable, you take out everything thrilling or visceral or surprising or vulgar about it in a way. Road to Perdition is a gangster movie with shoot 'em ups, which is slow and boring and not exciting because they're like, this I don't is... even want to talk about this. Okay. Do you like <laughs> No, I really don't like it. Oh, okay. This is, but just, they said, they said, well, this is an anti violence movie. We don't want to make the violence exciting. Well, okay, you move. And let's, and let's base it on, I mean, I'm going to sound like a nerd now. That's okay. But let's base it on. You won't be the first. Let's base it on a graphic novel, which is based on the fucking Japanese graphic novel, <laughs> which uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, which in no way, shape, or form is anti-violent. Yeah. So let, let's westernize something and take everything that's cool about it and just throw it out the window and make a really boring movie. It looks good though. That well, looks like it. Yeah. But it does have a very uh, eccentric uh, Jude Law performance. That's the best it. part of the movie. I wish it was about him. It was called Crazy Cop. I, think, I wish it was called Photo Killer. <laughs> or like, I made that movie. It's called Peeping Tom. That's true. I thought it was oh, one that's hour true. Photo. Yeah. Or Shutterbug. <laughs> or Snaps. Shut- yes. The story of a killer. Shutterbug. <laughs> Shutterbug's pretty good. Smart cheese. So what you're saying is that Michael Clayton... So Hollywood. Michael Clayton, <laughs> Michael Clayton is the thrillers what Sports Night is the comedies. Wow. <laughs> Like yeah, perhaps. Like, well, yeah. I don't have a problem with sports. No, and I it's like, not like something you laugh at. No, it's not funny. <laughs> but it's, it's a comedy. Not, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a laugh track. I mean, well, the, the, <laughs> which is <laughs> the best part. Of the, the problem also with Michael Clayton is that it's a movie that. Wait, Michael Clayton has a laugh track? Yeah. <laughs> I need to see it. Michael Clayton has a laugh track. It's a, it's a classic three camera setup. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, the, the credits roll over images from the film. And then you hear Michael Clayton was filmed before a live studio audience. And then you see uh, Stephen J. Cannell pull a piece of paper out of his typewriter and throw it onto a stack of papers. And, and Alan, Mary Tyler Moore's cat meows. Yeah. Stephen J. Cannell was not very Uber good at collating paper. No, he just throws it right out. After he was done, he really had to spend a lot of time putting his script back into order. But my, the, pro- the main problem I had with Michael Clayton was that it's a movie that starts off throwing you off balance. For the first three short scenes, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what it's about, really. And you're like, this must be, this is going to be full of twists. And there were zero twists in the movie. Yeah, it we, was, you knew, it was like, uh-oh, it looks like this corporation is, try, is trying to win this lawsuit. But that, it's got to be something more insidious than that. Oh, no, I guess that was it. You know, I... That, Spoiler alert. Funnily enough, for a movie no that was... No ghosts, no <laughs> women that turn out to be men, even with Tilda Swinton in it. Uh, <laughs> it was a movie that was directed uh, by a screenwriter, <laughs> and the screenplay was, you know, nominated for Academy Award. But the screenplay is the least interesting thing about yeah. it. I mean, it's beautifully shot, it's and very edited, well directed, and acted, and very you know, like, poorly written. Tom Wilkinson's yeah. in it, right? Also, Tom Wilkinson's yeah. in it, and he was good. And Tilda Swinton, who, I, who, who is great in it, I thought she was she exactly won the right award, choice. Yeah, wow. she won Best Supporting Actress, and I and my opinion is that she deserved it completely. She gives an she gives an amazing performance as this. As a human. This, well, <laughs> as a human. But as this brittle, vulnerable woman who is put into the, a position where she has to do something terrible to kind of protect herself. And it ends, you know, it's the wrong thing to do. But she, in her few scenes by herself, she creates such a more interesting and convincing and lovable character, lovable in the way that's like pitiable, than, than Michael Clayton himself, where it's like, yeah, your rich job is pretty bad. Handsome George Clooney, like I feel bad for you, sexiest man alive. 
But I didn't want her to win the Oscar because she's just going to take that Oscar back to fairyland. We're never going to see it again. <laughs> well, she's going to replace the Oscar with a fairy child. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe when she wins again as Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> That's my joke I've been telling you the past week. 30 minutes of Tilda Swinton jokes later. <laughs> That's my A, my a Tilda Swinton material. <laughs> that she's always prepping for the role of Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> Oh, so we've, oh, we've hit the big categories, and now I feel like well, we can go. Well, we can we can backtrack. We haven't talked about directing or anything. Through the that. magic of editing, you can also change what sure. goes around in this podcast. I don't like to edit these things that much. I, I don't think you've noticed. I think this should be your Steven Soderbergh podcast, where it jumps backwards and forwards in time. Oh, yep. This is your liming. Enti- right yeah, entire sections could be played backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and different fonts. And there needs to be a fucking twist. <laughs> yeah, a twist at the end. Elliot Kalen had died four days before the podcast. <laughs> How did he arrive? Authorities are baffled. The end. <laughs> the, that's the text at the end of the podcast. <laughs> it appears on screen. Uh, the unbreakable ending. Well, uh, in the spirit of also stealing other people's jokes, I have to mention the uh, biggest laugh during our Oscar party was uh, when we were talking about the in memoriam montage and how began and end dates meant that Roy Scheider was in it. Mm-hmm. Purposely and, excluded uh, Roy Scheider. Our friend Dave Weinberg said uh, they would have needed a longer Oscar montage. <laughs> yep. That's your go-to Roy Scheider reference yeah. right there. Well, the, th- I, the thing I wonder about that is that montage was loaded with executives and agents. I wonder if that was part of the deal with the Writers Guild was, we'll give you those residuals, but we're going to get some executives into that fucking it's Oscar. true, because everyone was saying how, like, uh, Brad Renfro is not in the... Yeah, who uh, is not well, a major actor, but who was a well-known actor right. who died, tragically. And they and you know that they stretched the dates to just include Heath Ledger. Yes. Like, there was no way he would, they were not... Oh, yeah. It was very strange. Well, that's was, the only reason I tuned in, actually. <laughs> and they specifically... No see the montage with Keith Ledger in it. <laughs> they put the dates on screen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel bad for laughing. You can't hear it. I think that's true. Beneath all that dirt. But they put the dates on screen specifically, I think, so people would know. This is why Roy... Instead of taking the effort to literally edit the clip of Roy Scheider saying we're going to need a bigger boat, which would have taken minutes, they went to the trouble of putting text on the screen that said the dates of the in memoriam. Yeah. Or they could have done it before Roy Scheider died and just said, like, listen, if anyone dies after this point, we're not putting it in memoriam. Right, and that always happens. I mean, people are always like, why wasn't this person in? Like yeah. even if even if it happened the day before the Oscars, people are always like, "Where was this guy? Where was it, Nicole Smith? Wait, or where was yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> for skyscraper or whatever the fuck." Yeah, she made skyscraper. Uh, <laughs> they Gun Thirty Three and Third, dude. That was a movie. Um, but also like John and Miss Cole Smith's fantasies. They never called Anna Nicole Smith exposed. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, constantly like, showing on Showtime. But uh, Joey Bishop was not in. Wow, it was. And uh, he's not, again, not a major star. Yeah, but, but I mean, everyone knows that name, opinion. like the Rat, Rat Pack. Uh... And yet you had all these executives, and they didn't put up, even put up the titles of the movies these executives green, you know, or anything. We had no context for these people. We didn't know the studios they worked for. It was just, oh, okay, these guys, well, he was an executive, I guess. Right. It, that was the one part of the Oscars where it felt, this, is, this night isn't about you, America. This is about us. This, this agent <laughs> died. Here's a picture of him in his striped shirt on vacation. It's like, couldn't find a nicer picture of that guy? What's going on? I guess everyone just remembered that shirt they needed to have in the picture. 
<laughs> you don't realize he's, just, he's like Charlie Brown. He always wore that shirt. <laughs> that was why he was such a good agent because he was memorable. Yeah, the, uh, but then on the other hand, you had Robert Boyle winning Lifetime Achievement Award, which was very well deserved and not a name that people knew. If you talk to him, I had trouble remembering his credits for the year. And they explained who he is. They explained what he did. They gave him time to speak. He's a ninety-eight-year-old man. They didn't try to cut him off and rush him off stage. Yeah, and they like they treated him very respectfully, and that the in memoriam was almost felt slapdash. They've been going more obscure for the lifetimes. I mean, and these aren't obscure people, obviously. It's just they're not trotting out huge, famous. They're not. Uh, they're not giving one to actors or or direct. I mean, they're not like giving last one to year, like Dustin Hoffman. Right. Last year was Ennio Morricone, and I mean, everyone who knows film music knows him, but he's not gonna. He's not gonna be a marquee name for the Oscars. Like, you got to tune in this year, see Ennio Morricone get it. But at Oscar. the same time, is there anyone who deserves a lifetime Academy Award more than Neil McCormick? He's written like over 400 movie scores. He wrote what is possibly the best song ever written for a movie, which I would say is the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Things. It's either that or the Ghostbusters song. <laughs> I don't know. I would have gone with uh, Bobby Brown's song from Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it's oh, all about um, Vigo, the <laughs> master of evil. I saw, I, did I, tell you, I saw that painting in person. I told you that, right? <laughs> on my tour of Industrial Light and Magic that I took last Thanksgiving. Paint, paint a picture with your words about seeing a picture that was painted for Ghostbusters <laughs> 2. I saw Vigo's portrait. I saw the, the Scolari Brothers ghosts that come back. I the gave him the chair! I gave him the chair! Uh, oh, that was Favorite a great exposition tour. ever. If anyone ever has a chance to take a private tour of Industrial Light and Magic, <laughs> please do so, because it is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to until you said... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, what were we talking about? I don't know. Oh. Uh, paintings. Mu oh, music for movies. Music I'm, I'm going to argue my favorite uh, piece of music ever written for a movie. Uh, Dream Warriors by Dokken. <laughs> or uh, Nightmare on yes. Street Part 3 Dream Warriors. You know the one with the kid in the wheelchair? Yeah. Yeah, that one's really awesome. That's a good, great our, song. Our, perhaps my favorite of the Nightmare on Elm Street. So. Yeah, it's a, I mean, yeah, it's a kid in the wheelchair. Yeah, well, he's also a dungeon master. He's also, <laughs> he's also a dungeon master. <laughs> This, it I, makes I, it kind of sad. I apologize for this tangent. <laughs> this is as irrelevant as any conversation could be for the subject. Come on, Oscar-winning Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. <laughs> At least one Oscar. I, I, I wish think, uh, that would have been great. If, uh, if, the Oscar like, for most awesome Elm Street. Film. Michael Caine walks out. <laughs> the, the, the Best Picture award goes. And the Best Picture of I don't remember the year it was like 1986, 1985. Sure. 1985 is a Nightmare on Elm Street Three, Dream Warriors. And Robert Englund goes up and gets the award, you know, and picks up the award. Oh, he won Best Actor that year, I assume. And, uh, I thought I'd like to think of myself as a dream warrior. <laughs> a warrior of dreams. Well, sometimes you saw a world dream warrior. And uh, Cher is that, it'll be the Best Actor, Robert Englund, for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Uh, I'd like work. to thank a guy named Freddy. I wouldn't be getting this award without. Thanks, buddy. Here's to, here's to another award next year to go with the three I now have. Just like, <laughs> just like every year. Just like really. <laughs> just as this year's Oscars telecast was the lowest rated, uh, people are turning off this podcast all across America. Um, would he? would be wearing the glove when he go to accept the award because he knew he was getting it. Right? Yeah, of course he'd wear the, the, glove. the glove, and the audience would go fucking insane. <laughs> I think they so, would. Dude. You would have Faye Ray and Shirley Temple, and uh, you know. 
Mickey Rooney just jumping out of their seats. Yeah! Would be a shot of the Jack with his sunglasses on, <laughs> yeah, just laughing. Like, laughing. Like, you got, still got it. I think it would be dangerous. <laughs> it would be dangerous for him to wear the glove. I mean, this Freddy might cross over to, in the real world like he did in New Nightmare. Yeah, that's true. We can only hope. That, yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> that's some good laughs. Good semi-homoerotic movies. Um, okay. <laughs> Heather Langenkamp. Mm-hmm. Awfully cute. Uh, so, Oscars, speaking of. Sure. So, Oscars. Um, Is there anything that stuck out to you, Elliot? About what the Oscars? The Oscars. Uh, why don't you talk about... Okay. I don't actually... Uh, I haven't actually seen a lot of the movies or performances. A lot of my Oscar, like, Cole, what's that called? Uh, Cole? Cool? Cool, yeah. Uh, a lot of that shit was The glasses. Oscar pool. Most, <laughs> most of it was, like... like Gay Oscar porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oscar's Pole. Starring Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Early uh, in his career. He needed the money. Hollywood Nights hadn't come out yet. <laughs> nice. I haven't actually seen a lot of the movies, um, so a lot of it was guesses. So I don't actually really care about talking about the movies. Um, <laughs> what I did want to say was that uh, the French one, the French girl who won the uh, Best mm-hmm. best Actress, Cody. they were attracted. Yeah, that's true. Nice dress. Not when she's in makeup. Uh, no, well, I'm not going to see her. I'm not going to see her movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'll check out IMDb see if she's got a back catalog because you know she's porn made, movies. She's made about forty movies. Well, and the thing is that porn movies. I don't know. If you, I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. Porn movies often feature a shitload of women. I don't think so. Uh, I would have heard about that. <laughs> well. Uh, I'll just take it from me, guys. <laughs> and in the modern world of the internet, you can sample these uh, European delights. Tell me more. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think in France it's called Le Internet, and uh, <laughs> they have tons of uh, of these foreign movies featuring uh, naked chick boobs. Um, now, that's, Graham, all, that's the whole movie. The only thing you gotta watch out for is that they don't have the same filter that we have about filtering out all the uggos. Oh, I see. <laughs> So just let everybody make it. <laughs> like in uh, like in a movie that uh, actually I want to talk about. This is I'm jumping in, uh, jumping ahead. Go right ahead. But my, in a little while we're gonna be talking about our own like Oscar picks. And my Oscar pick for the best scene with full frontal pale nudity uh, goes to a uh, foreign film. That'd be uh, Black Book, uh, the Clark Terry oh, film. I missed that. Where the big fat guy like stumbles into the bathroom. It's totally awesome. <laughs> uh, so that's an example of them not using their filter. Right. Four movies. Usually. So uh, you, you're, your turn. I'm going to learn something here today. Yep. Four movies I'm just thrown off by all the uncircumcised members. <laughs> it's nice. like some sort of bizarre universe that I don't understand. <laughs> I was What stuck out to me a lot was that the Coen brothers won for Best Adapted Screenplay. They had previously won Best Original Screenplay for Fargo. They won Best Director and they won Best Picture. They've never won these they should have won them, in my opinion. They should have won Best Director several times over by now. They should have won Best Picture for Fargo. But but they had this look on their faces like they were very displeased to be winning <laughs> the Academy Awards. And they would come back to Frances McDormand, who could not have been happier. They right. Her husband and her husband's brother were winning these major awards. And the Coen brothers, on the other hand, I, and part of me thinks it's just that they're naturally shy guys. They right. don't like going up on stage. Yeah, they don't like being part of you know, the Hollywood establishment, I'm not sure, or something like that. But at the same time, No Country for Old Men is a very um, well-put-together movie. It's a fantastic movie in a lot of ways. But to me, it feels like maybe their least personal movie since 
after intolerable cruelty. Yeah, no, intolerable cruelty is definitely. Which feels like they did direct it with their eyes closed and not, you know, asleep. And the thing, like, they didn't write that one. Yeah, that was the one write. that they didn't write. But even beyond that, they wrote, they adapted No Country for Old Men. They directed it. They spent a lot of time on it. And they did an amazing job. But at the same time, it didn't feel like their souls were invested in it. And I wonder if up there they said to themselves, well, this is what they want us to make. They don't want us to make The Man Who Wasn't Married. Want us to make the Big Lebowski? They want us to make you know, Martin Fink. Is it the movies that you can tell they mm-hmm. wrote because these were stories that sprung out of their minds right. that they had to tell? That no, the, no one it, makes the Big Lebowski to try and uh, court uh, exactly. mainstream success. But at the same time, if there's any movie that goes to the heart of their feelings about film or humanity, I think it's that one movie, Big Lebowski, for many reasons. Uh, I recommend the BFI. Film classics, volume of Lebowski, which is yeah. fantastic, but uh, the, that they said to themselves, "Well, this is what we have to do to get recognition for making this very slick, violent, kind of a little soulless thrillers that have you know that tell the story efficiently and then get the fuck out of there." Although I, I mean, that's it had very few of the tangents and the kind of loopiness that gives their movies the character. It is definitely a uh, an adaptation, however. I mean, the way you're talking about it, almost, I know this is not what you're saying, but the way you're talking about it almost makes it seem like a sellout of some kind. Which it's not. But, I mean, certainly... But to a certain extent... But they, the, the ending of that film, which a lot of people uh, didn't like, I mean, the, that they kept faithful to Cormac McCarthy's ending, when they're like, you know what, you want a climax? Well, to hell with you. Well, at the same <laughs> time, at the same time, that was taken directly. Again, it was taken directly. From right, and that's why, even though I really liked Uncovered for Men, Old Men, ultimately I enjoyed uh, There Will Be Blood more, because I felt like that was a very personal movie. Yeah, well, There Will Be Blood was almost the opposite for me. It, was, it felt much more personal and much more like Paul Thomas Anderson put himself into it. And then, but at the end of the day, it almost wasn't. He, could, he didn't step back far enough to make a movie that ultimately, you know, made sense as a story, in a way. It made sense as a dream, but not... That stuff with his brother that doesn't make ultimately is like oh okay so that was a commercial break for a while that was the intuition <laughs> like where there's both movies don't give you what you're looking for exactly and there's they have good reasons for doing that and it's rewarding almost that they don't do that no country for old men doesn't give you that shootout at the end that you really want to see and there will be blood does not give you the straightforward arc of man and son man against preacher boy that you want Instead, it kind of loops around itself, and it takes its detours, and it gets, it omits the main fight between the father and son that I assume happens at right. some point. And it's almost like the movie is sort of richer and poorer in some ways. But it is totally crazy. That's what ultimately I love about it. I, I like movies that feel like, that are very personal, but then... Also have just this like shaggy dog quality to it. Like you it definitely has a shaggy dog. But <laughs> it's the true. ending, well, this the end. Like that last scene is beautiful. Everything about it is brilliant. The the final moment, going into the credits with the music playing, which frankly does feel like the end of a Woody Allen movie, is great. But that's the thing. The reviews made it sound like it was this bizarre fever dream of a movie that like I'm nothing doing... made sense. Oh, I, but it made me. I was like, you ruined it. Oh, no. I'm fucking ruined it. No. <laughs> But I went in expecting, like, El Topo, you know, or the Magic Mountain or something. Something that where I was going to be like, what the hell is going on? But yeah. instead it was just a story that ran on its own logic and was kind of flattering. I, I, I agree that uh, I agree with the whole not giving you a release, specifically with No Country for Old Men, which I like. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, like, at the same time, it's a very Coen Brothers movie is the thing that like, I like about it. 
Like it reminded me so much of Blood Simple. Yeah, it is very it it's it is very much like their past films. It's almost like you know, there's just like a like a fifth element, if you will, <laughs> missing from it. Speaking of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> This is not all about the Oscars, so let's move on from that. Although I do want to mention one last thing. I know you, maybe you can't talk about this. I don't know how much you can talk about it, uh, but I'm going to mention it. Elliot, last time uh, John hosted the Oscars, you actually had some part in doing in producing the Oscar telecast, or part of the Oscar if telecast. If I can be humble, I was one of the producers on the best part of that Oscar. Yeah, and, and I, possibly the best part of any Oscars. And I know if that I can pe- be humble about I know that people don't... People who work on these sorts of things don't get individual uh, credit for it often, so I want you to take this opportunity to blow your own horn. Your oh, thanks. Well, let's describe what happened. Yeah, just, uh, just let people well, know. Well, we posted it two years ago. Just, just snatch credit for something that happened okay. a couple of years back. I was part of an elite three-man team, of which I did most of the work, except for Ursula, of what, was what we called the gay cowboy montage. I think it kind of got known by that. In the ma- in the mass media, I believe it was uh, singled out by the Times. But because Brokeback Mountain was the theme of that year, that's the <clears throat> problem with this year's Oscars is there was nothing that dominated sure. that way that they. But it was the idea that westerns have always been fairly homoerotic. We were putting together, you know, homoerotic tension moments from those movies. We took about a month of watching westerns, a couple weeks of editing them together. We watched about forty films in total. I think I watched. 25 to 30 of them. And there weren't many of these from your private uh, yes. collection. And that's the thing. This year, we rented all these DVDs. One of the guys at work was like, oh, are we going to get Blu-ray discs? Because we want these to look the best. And I said, oh, oh, how naive. That's adorable. <laughs> because when we did this other one, I assumed, I brought in my own tapes, many of them taped off television. And I assumed that we were going to be getting DVDs of these or that the Academy Award would spring for so what you're saying from Prince. is that the Academy is taking part in piracy. It is breaking copyright yeah, laws. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. But again, but then they said, nope. And uh, so, and it ended up looking fine. I mean, the money of these movies were old, so we weren't going to get pristine prints of them anyway. But it was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll bring in my copy of The Big Country and we'll just take up, <laughs> we'll just take the clips off of that. And also, it shows you how slapdash those shows are because we've spent a very long time working on this, the music for it. And the editor we were working with, Graham Fraser, it was me, it was a three-man team. It was me, Rory Albanese was the other producer on it, and he was one of the main producers of the Oscars this year for The Daily Show. And Graham Fraser was the editor, and Graham spent so much time working on the sound bed and making sure everything flowed seamlessly because you had the music. We were putting on with the music that was already on those scenes sometimes because we needed lines of dialogue, and songs had to flow together at just the right moments. And it came out beautifully, and then the Academy Awards guys were like, oh, we need a couple seconds of time. we gotta, we got to... Shorten the montage, and they just chopped a chunk out of the middle. And there's this abrupt skip in the music where it goes from one song to another. It's like, come on, guys, the Academy Awards, what are you doing? Well, I checked, and this is on YouTube. Uh, the Academy has not taken oh, they it down pulled it, because they pulled it off, they kept pulling it off for a while. So it's back up again. It's back up again. I, I mean, you know, now that we've won <laughs> the Academy sure bag <laughs> on the flop house, clearly. I will tell you the best actually, the best thing about we kept worrying that we would get we were going to get sued by. Wayne Enterprises, which is John Wayne's son's company. It is also the name of Bruce Wayne's company <laughs> in the Batman comics. Wayne Enterprises is John Wayne's son's company that's set up to protect the image and legacy of John Wayne. And we were like, we're gonna get, they're like, they're going to have trouble with Wayne Enterprises. 
making John Wayne look like a gay guy. We at one point we had John Wayne all have he says I'll have you spread eagled on a wagon wheel. You know, it means he's gonna do a guy up the butt or something. <laughs> like this is and this is John Wayne, this is the Duke. And we were like, uh oh, this is gonna be trouble. And then we also we had a lot of other big stars in it. There's a part with Gary Cooper, there's a part with Alan Ladd from Shane where he, he and another guy pull a stump out of the ground and fall over it, spent and sweaty. <laughs> and then there was a, it ended with a scene with Gregory Peck and Charlton Heston. And John Wayne and Wayne Enterprises, their response was, Well, you pay us for the use of that footage. We don't care what you do with it. So the Academy paid them. But Gregory Peck's widow did not want his image in this movie. She didn't want the implication that he was a homosexual. Nothing at all. So the president of the Academy and the producer of the Academy Awards went out and basically went to her house and talked to her for about it and had to make a personal call to convince her that it was okay to include this snippet. Because it was the end clip and it was it's so good as the end clip. In the big country and it's... Uh, Charlton Heston is half undressed. He's just wearing his long underwear pants. And uh, he's sitting on his bed, and Gregory Peck uh, walks in, and Charlton Heston says, I don't know why you thought you had to say goodbye. And Gregory Peck goes, The kind of goodbye I was interested in is going to take a little bit more room. And then it's just Charlton Heston just stares at him and then starts getting up off the bed. And then it, we cut out there. It was such a great ending. And, it, and so they, you know, I guess whined and dined her, and she eventually relented. Well, you know, what it, what it is is uh, Gregory Peck's widow is still a little sensitive about that incident with him and Rock Hudson. So, uh, wow, I'm not even going to get... That's yeah. The estate of Gregory gonna... Peck is going <laughs> to sue to us. So, uh, oh, shit. That's because I, uh, if it's still up on YouTube, I will embed that on the Flophouse blog. That would be awesome. And then I need to start a reel so I can <laughs> put it on it. But that, yeah. was, that was one of the one of the great thrills was doing that and then watching the Oscars... We had an Oscar party with the show that everyone went to and uh, watching the Oscars in this bar that we had rented out. And that came on. And then there was this moment of, oh, okay, the Oscars are fake. If I was involved with this, being <laughs> a nobody, then it must be not real. This is a closed circuit camera that, like, John is doing this in the back room and this is not a real broadcast. But eventually that, that went away. Yeah. This, I, I, could, I guess that... I had I could not imagine that I was involved in something no, like that high publicity. I understand that feeling of dis dislocation because I mean I have never been involved with anything as uh, as exciting uh, as the Daily Show. So like, oh, well, yeah. the flop I don't want to give no, the oh, flop other house, than the yeah. Flophouse. Flophouse is far more exciting but, than the um, Daily Show. I did a comedy show where uh, we had like uh, it was a Sarah Schaefer show where we had Lisa Loeb on as the like musical guest, and she was out there. He's like, I brought her like a cheese plate back in the back, and then she was out there in the front, like singing uh, Stay. And I had this moment where I'm like, I fucking like, I, I listened to this song on like MTV in high school. And you cried. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, who's the cute girl in the, in the glasses? I like smart looking girls. <laughs> and then years later, there she was. Did she, was, wait, I, did she still look smart or did she look kind of like a little beat up? No, she looked, yeah, she looked, she looked very the good. same. Like yeah, she, she looked, she, she looked hot. Like good. ready to rock. Yeah. Cool. She, I remember, I was one of the people working with cameras at the time. I remember very well. And I don't like that song. It sucks. And I'm not a huge fan of hers, but hearing her play it right hearing there. Hearing her, like, it live. It was a very emotional, it was, because it was like, I don't like this song, but I heard it every day for a week, for like two years. At, at a time when I was growing up, and all, all those memories came flooding back. It's a great song. Still don't like it. Yeah. But it was like, but it was a very thrilling moment. On a personal uh, 
uh, enough interesting enough, things. Enough self-aggrandization. <laughs> I don't um, want to talk shit about movies in the movie. Sure. Yeah. Let's move on to the Razzies. <laughs> they're like yeah. the anti-Oscars. They're like, <laughs> if, if the, uh, what's great about the Razzies and the Oscars is that neither of them really mean anything, but the Razzies know it. So, um, we saw the Razzie winner. We saw it like, actually, you were the guest star. I was. I remember, it, well, I was very happy when it swept the Razzies because I had seen it. Yeah. And it was uh, bad. I know who killed me. It was bad, right? One worst picture. If it matters, I think Dan gave it a, you should still watch this. Yes. Yeah. I think I like it a lot. Type, uh, I don't think he, that was it. He gave it a, oh, I don't remember he quite gave it that a, well. This was bad, but it was still fun. I thought it was funny. I thought it was really funny how weird it was. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think I like a little more of you right now. Like he likes watching movies where strippers a, don't take their clothes off and then their fingers fall. He did have a stripper with a robot hand. <laughs> how can you argue with a movie that has a oh, stripper with a robot hand? Was, hand? That hand should have gotten a special achievement award from mm. the Razzies. Lindsay Lohan uh, did tie with herself. Worst actress because if you recall the film, she had a split personality where she played two roles, she played two characters, and both of them very different. Worst actress, two very different characters, as well as worst screen couple. Actually, uh, I believe I know who killed me is the highest Razzie winner in history with eight Razzies. That's a shitload of fucking Razzies, the dude. Titanic and Ben Hur of Razzies. I feel like the problem with doing a segment on the Razzies is we have to keep saying Razzie. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it, makes me feel kind of like a child. Sure. <laughs> it's like when people want to, wanted to say Super Duper Tuesday. I'm like, fuck sure. that. Yeah. I just, it reminds me when uh, news anchors say bling or diss mm. on television. Grow up. Yeah. <laughs> I am watching news for kids. N E W Z, the number four, K I D Z. It's on for three minutes from 4.57 p.m. to 5 p.m. on PBS channel. <laughs> you're, re- you're reading news for kids and highlights for kids. <laughs> Uh, yes, I read Weekly Reader. That's where I get my news. <laughs> right, right. You're Rick. <laughs> hey, Rick. Rick. And uh, this just <laughs> in. Fucking uh, koala bears are cute. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> okay, extra, oh, extra. I'm, su- I'm surprised that that's breaking news. I've been that for a while. It's <laughs> self-evident. Developing story. Otters clean their food. <laughs> 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 uh, this will be the best flop house for people to listen to if they want to listen to the three of us laughing. Yeah, yeah well. Uh. So Razzies, uh, they really didn't fucking like I Know Who Killed Me. Uh, they didn't like Norbit either. Yeah, I'd like to point out that Norbit, the only film nominated for both a Razzie and an Oscar. I, and so I, there's so, got to be something there. I thought for a magical. <laughs> I did suggest for a brief moment that uh, in preparation for this show, we should watch Norbit. And Elliot said, no, I don't want to watch Norbit. <laughs> and, I, and the other thing is, frankly, after watching Good Luck Chuck, I don't know if we have another bad shitty comedy. Oh, yeah, another shitty comedy that's, in us, dude. I think it'll kill me. That's the thing. Like, a bad horror movie, a bad drama, a bad romance, any day of the week. But a bad comedy is... It's fucking work, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, just it's to, work. Just to sit there, you kind of want to get up and leave. Yeah. You want to look around and make sure nobody knows you're watching. <laughs> there's nothing worse than watching a bad comedy. Except maybe, I don't know. Like watching your children get run over by yeah, a car. That's it's, probably it's worse. probably about the same, but <laughs> it depends. Like, there's more cleanup with the children. But if they're getting run over while like Dane Cook is pulling faces yeah. in the in the truck, then yeah, that's yeah, that's, nice. that's worse. Oh, that is worse. This is this is sort of interesting. Only three movies that won Razzies. I know we good year for film, huh? <laughs> and Daddy Day Camp got well, one. This is a solid year for movies. The fact that. He's so few that those movies sweep the Razzies, <laughs> but also that 
the movie's not in for Academy Awards for the most part. We're not bad movies. No, I couldn't argue with any of them. It, there's no, there's no crash in this. Uh, there was round. no crash. There was no. I mean, the, no, the English patient, which was an okay movie. Uh, there was no, no one-two Russell Crowe punch of Gladiator and a Beautiful Mind. Exactly. Uh, not. I feel like none of the acting awards this year could be. Might be really good. I haven't seen La Vie and Rose, so I don't know for sure. But I mean, Tilda Swinton was solid. Daniel Day Lewis was amazing. As and people were like. He's chewing the scenery, and it's like, yeah, and he's doing it fantastically well. <laughs> like he's creating a human being who chews the scenery, and yeah. he had the best voice in movies. And he had then, the best mustache. And um, but and uh, Javier Bardem was fantastic. Like these were solid acting movies. Really, it, there were no Hilary Swanks or uh, Charlize Theron's. Or, you know. uh, now, how many times during the Oscars, like whole thing, did they make comments slash jokes about? Javier Bardem's haircut from too many girls. times. It was it was shocking, and it's also like, yeah, he's he's got a silly haircut. Like it's set in the eighties, and he's playing the meanest man in the world. <laughs> like, why should he? Have, why should he have a distinct yeah, haircut? Yeah, that was the thing. I thought his character was incredibly mean. <laughs> <laughs> he would just say really hurtful things. Unkind. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't share, but. So we've talked a little bit about the Razzies. There, are we gonna? I don't know that there's actually a lot to say about it, but as a bad movie podcast, I thought we should touch on it. Yeah, I mean, I think they got a little overzealous with their hatred for... Yeah, they should have spread movie. the love around. I mean, if it matters, frankly, having watched Good Luck Chuck, uh, right. I don't know if it's fair to not do something to make sure that... That's a worse film. Yeah, it is worse. But also, in a year where there's so many of those, like, meet the Spartans, epic movie type movies, I yes. feel like it's, it's strange that none of those were mentioned. Pots, it makes me want to cut my eyeballs out of my head <laughs> and then fill the, my uh, my eye sockets with fucking bees or something. <laughs> with bees who are fucking. Yep, fucking bees. <laughs> I like that you often go to like bees or scorpions <laughs> when, when you're going for like some sort of you know extravagant metaphor or or simile. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm definitely afraid of insects. Okay, they killed my father. That said, pathos. At this point in the show, our raw audio went over time, and we were forced to start a new file, which we were going to release as a second part of this podcast, the Flophouse Year in Review. However, that second file has been lost, thanks to the evil gnome that lives inside my computer. We mourn its passing. But we will be back in two weeks with another regular episode of the Flophouse. Also, visit the flophouse.blogspot.com to post on our all-new Flophouse forums, or drop us a line at theflophouse at gmail.com. Also, if you have the time, take a moment to vote for us at Podcast Alley or write a review on iTunes. So for my co-hosts, Stuart Wellington, Elliot Kalin, and me, Dan McCoy, thanks for listening to The Flophouse. Good night. You had a beer open? Yeah. <laughs> Why the F not? I have one ready for you. Yeah, dude. You don't want to have to go get that in the middle of the podcast. Well, that would just make things up. No, I, I opened that one for my uh, my ghost best friend. <laughs> that one's for Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Well, the rest of the year, he like scores a little bit. You know, or a Gentile. <laughs> I am in comedy. Um. <laughs>